Hello and welcome to the Warwick F1 show. It's a non-race week, which means you're joined on the hosting chair by myself, Jack Rowe. And this week we're talking about F2 and the feeder series that F1 has had in previous years. We'll be going through the history of it. We'll be coming back to regular F2, which started off in 2017. And then we'll be finishing it off, trying to make some improvements, talk about what's so good about F2 and to some extent F3 as well. But I can't do this alone, so I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Will Kingswood. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I mean, hosting... Ho- thank you for having me. I mean, hosting chair is a bit of a metaphor because you're stood up on the moment. You seem to seem to enjoy that a bit more. It opens my diaphragm a little bit. I've, I've, uh, I've been trialling it. And we've got our two lovely guests as well. We'll go one by one. So uh, you you may know him. He's been on a couple of times before, but uh, we've got Chinmay Barathia here. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's just been a really busy week, so, and just, yeah, I mean, the weekend without Formula One is not the most fun weekends, but yeah, we can, there's always a lot to talk about in terms of the feeder series. Yeah, you've been, I like I like the fact you're repping the Mercedes top as well, that's great. And uh, we're joined for the first time as well by Kurias. How are you doing, Kurias? Hey there, um, I'm doing pretty well, actually. Um, not been doing too much this week, so we've been running into week three now, so not too bad, but I mean... Since it's not a race weekend, well, we're going into a race weekend towards uh, America, um, but unfortunately we don't have the Feedy Series this weekend, but we will be seeing that in Jeddah in a couple of weeks' time, I think. In, like, Is it a month? I'm not pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. So we've got Mexico and Brazil first. Yeah. There you go. So I've, I've missed my opportunity to get the uh, Warwick F1 Society promotions in, so I might as well do it now. These two guys, of course, members of Warwick F1 Society. I guess you are as well, well Will. Right? I am. It's, good, like good, the one, yeah. it's like the one society I've joined, apart from Raw, obviously. Excellent, I've been yeah. very lazy about joining societies so far. No, and of course, we're in the Raw studio. We're live on Raw 12.51am, and this podcast will be out on raw sports spotify and on our youtube channel as well we were talking about cota if you want to come down to the clarendon in leamington on sunday at 7 p.m race starts at 8 p.m uh, and we'll be there but we'll get back to the uh, the topic at hand and uh, the f2 series so we're going to go through a little bit of the history of f2 because it's quite interesting and uh, just, just because I'm not quite that mean to my guests we're not going to be talking about the history exactly but more like the formats that the that F2 has taken in the past and how, how, we, would, how we would see those formats happening um, in today's world. So I guess we start right at the start and I need to get my computer up because I've forgotten what year it is. So it's, F2 started out in 1946. Um, at the time, Formula 1 was 3 litres um, engine size, but then it came 1.5 litres. Um, sorry, the, the F2 came, came in and was a 1.5 litre engine uh, and it went pretty well. Um, by 1952 and 1953, you guys are going to struggle to believe this, but every single world championship race was not raced in Formula 1 series cars, it was raced in Formula 2. 1.5 litre cars. Um, so I, I want to get your guys, we're going to go straight in with this, right, right straight in. What do you think would happen these days? Formula 2, one, if, if we just halved the, half the engine capacity, halved the engine speed of the cars... Um, would that make for a more interesting series, or would you just like immediately lose everything that um, everything that Formula One is? We'll, we'll, we'll start with you, Jim May. 
I mean, to be brutally honest, I'll probably lose a lot of interest because for me, a lot of a lot about F1 is to do with the engines, it's to do with the pinnacle motorsport, it's to do with the fastest cars in the world. So yeah, in a way, I would quite lose quite a bit of interest in Formula One if they're just halving the engine capacity and slowing the cars down. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? What do you reckon, Will? Well, I mean, we got a thing now. It's we've only got one point six litre V six engines. Obviously, we've got the massive electrical capacity, which makes up for a lot of the, a lot of the um, just I guess power deficiencies that you get from a bit of a smaller engine. But we came down from two point four litre V eight, so that's like your oh god maths. You're um, making it what a third smaller. So it's sort it's almost similar. I can see why maybe they made the engines a bit smaller. You obviously want to get into the races and smaller engines means probably more reliability and back in the day reliability was the aim of the game if you could get to the finish then you had a good chance of scoring some points but to be honest going down like going down half the size in engines or halving the size of the engines i don't think really would make that much difference that's an interesting take how much how much of the power can we remember how much of the power comes from electric versus Oh, we're gonna have to look it up. I'll, I'll look oh, it he doesn't up know quickly. off the top of his head. All right, well, I'm not. I do the I do the actual racing. I don't know anything. So about if we, mechanics. yeah, I think it's about 300 horsepower from the both the M- MGUs in the modern day, if I'm not mistaken, right now. So no, no. Okay, all right, sure. Okay, I, I, I'll I'll accept that. What well, if we're in, if we've got? So apparently, in 2015, the Mercedes engine was about 870 horsepower. And you can get an extra 160, I think, from like kinetic energy recovery. So okay, maybe. So, so is that 20, 160 maybe? on top? Or? Yeah. Or I think it may, I'd just go about 20, 25% of the engine is ele- or en- of the power is electrical. Okay. Just energy recovery and things like that. So what do we. So that covers if we halve the engines, but what if we just went to Formula 2 spec? So Formula 2 spec at the moment is 3.4 litre with a single turbocharger, no MGUK, no MGUH. What would what would that do to the appeal for you, Curious? I don't think it would change too much to me for me anyway, because um, uh, I think the sound of the cars and the look of those car, the F2 cars, you can see the flames coming out the back of the engine sometimes when they shift gears and... The F2 cars look amazing when you see them uh, racing. And even if they are, you, you know, quite a bit slower on the straights. With the F1 cars, if you're keeping the same aero, they're going to be just as fast in the corners. And that's where, you know, most of the overtaking, well, that's where we want to see the overtaking, the side-by-side action. And uh, even if we would lose the speed in the straights, you, with how long the straights are, you'd have um, more time to cover and probably a lot more time in the slipstream and that could actually benefit um, overtaking which is one of the biggest problems in F1 that we've had in recent years so mm-hmm. I don't think it would be too much of a ba- bad problem if we were to switch to F2 engines since from what we have now and if they remained unhomologated as well so at the moment the F2 engines and F3 engines are uh, produced by Mechachrome um, they've got no incentive to make the fastest engines possible do they what if, what if uh, the teams had to then go with that 3.4 litre V6 um, uh, you know that that formula um, would would that be more applicable to, to street cars is that going to be less is that take away from the, the pinnacle of motorsport that we, we say that F1 is I mean I think it is just the speed that you're getting 
like obviously F1 cars the best around the corners. F1 cars aren't even really the fastest in a straight line race cars that we have. I think uh, IndyCar is uh, can get quicker, especially on oval circuits. I want to say the new hypercars will probably be able to go faster than F1 cars at Le Mans, but obviously it's the cornering capacity that F1 cars have that really put them on that different level. And I think it would be too... If we were going to switch straight, like switch to the engine, the engine would be probably too slow. Like we would, it just wouldn't be able to go in a straight line fast enough. You probably would be able to get more power out of it just because there's a lot more investment into F1 and like making that engine as quick as possible, even like through just adaption. Because we've got to remember, even though these series, we'll talk, probably talk about it later, but even though they say they're spec series, they're, they're not. There's differences between the cars, and we'll come on to that later. But I think you would never see that as an option going to like F2 engines. But... Does that? I mean, it doesn't really matter. I think what we've got now, and especially what we're getting in 2025, looks like the best available option for the time being. Okay, what are your opinions on that, Jimmy? Do you reckon we could see an increase in capacity and removal of the MGUK and MGUH in the future, or not? I think I'm not mistaken. Uh, there are some rumours going around about the MGUH being um, uh, dismant- removed from the cars in 2025, and I think that's actually a really good step because the MGUH is pretty much the source of all the unreliability that we see in Formula 1, or at least the vast majority of it, especially when in the, let's say, not very well-done McLaren-Honda stages of the partnerships with the Honda Rangers. It was the MGUH that proved it to be a massive problem for honda but yeah i mean <clears throat> the closer that we can go to like say normal car engines so bigger capacities it'll probably be better for the sport because at the end of the day it would make it cheaper more viable more viable for other manufacturers to come to the sport and also probably be a lot cheaper as well because especially with the engines being ridiculously expensive nowadays yeah i guess that's true um the reason why they're tr- introducing that i think is trying to get volkswagen and the volkswagen group in but if I can, I'm going to try and relate it to F2 in a little bit. Um, if we change to a different spec, not necessarily F2, but something more similar to that, where um, the engine capacity is bigger and there's less complexity, do you think we'd get more manufacturers in the sport? Curious. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen that there are in, there are some interests from other manufacturers to come into the sport, and other than uh, the insane cost of, you know, joining f1 i think it's like 100 200 mil to join the sports as a separate entity um other than just buying out a team that's already uh in the sport um it is quite expensive to get into f1 and having bigger engines that they already use in road cars that are simpler that they don't have to you know make huge r&d uh developments into um it would be probably quite a lot easier for um many manufacturers probably even i mean out of then maybe Lamborghini or some someone like that who already know how to make huge engines with lots of power, and they who also know decently well on how to make uh, good turbo engines as well. I think it would incentivize a lot of companies to join the sport. Okay, I'm going to go fully on the tangent now. Do we need more engine manufacturers? Um, how many have you got at the moment? Four: Ferrari, Mercedes. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's call them Renault um, and. Uh, 
What's the last Honda. one? Honda. Done. Um, with uh, Honda losing the sport as well, do we need those big uh, car engine manufacturers from proper car companies? I mean, I think what we're going to see is the. F- we're going to see the unless something major happens, you're going to have the three. You're going to have a Mercedes, a Ferrari, and a like Renault, sort of, because they've been a, they've been around for a while now. The fourth, obviously, that's very up in the air. Red Bull are taking over sort of their like the Honda factory and, and like producing, I guess, their own art house engines in a way. But what I think will happen, obviously, is speculation, and it might be completely wrong. But if Volkswagen and or Volkswagen and like Porsche or those companies come in, it does seem to be they're coming in on the engine side specifically. Obviously, I think they'll they did come in. They'll make a team, but you probably end up seeing just Volks, Volkswagen or whatever that like whichever subsidiary subsidiary they chuck into f1 will make their own engines will probably supply red bull i think four is it's quite a good number provides a bit of variety for the grid i think renault might have to look for another customer because they've lost they've only got they're only making their own engines aren't they, they yeah got they've not cost- got customer enemy. Yeah. yeah so that might be an area of concern for them but i think at the moment, with the four, and if we keep the four even after 2025, I think four's a, four's a good amount, really. Yeah, what... what? Okay. Well, here, General Motors, who, they, who do they own? They own Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche, Lamborghini, thought, Isn't it the Volkswagen group? Is it? I think Volkswagen is okay. the big... Oh, yeah, General, General, General Motors, Motors is like American. Ford and yeah. Chevrolet. Sorry. Um... Which of those which of those groups would you like to see in, in F one? Very quickly. Start with Jimmy. Probably Porsche to be honest, because they're the one with the richest amount of motorsport history and yeah. No. Same here really. Um Porsche. I mean they they have already got uh, GT three cars, I think, on the road and I would say they're the most sporting um team, uh, when it comes to brand, because I as much as BMW or I mean not BMW, uh, Volkswagen and like Passat and all the others, Audi, uh like to uh, be involved in other sports i don't really see them making many like sports cars with aero and everything so for their brand probably porsche i mean if the volkswagen group come in it's Porsche. it will probably be porsche or audi that make an entrance because obviously like a volkswagen f1 car there's not the there's not like the marketing pedigree like volkswagen don't make as volkswagen's like sports cars so you will see Porsche or Audi, and to be honest, I could see Porsche being a lot more likely, especially as I think it's the Audi hypercar. They're coming back into LMP1, so it would make sense to split your subsidiaries, go Audi for the new hypercar class, which is beginning to look fairly competitive, especially with some of the rumours about like the big manufacturers coming in. You're talking your, your Ferrari, even Bugatti. I hope Bugatti, I really want a Bugatti in LMP1 or like Hypercars, whatever it's called. So it makes sense, I think. Keep um, keep Audi in Hypercar and then bring Porsche into F1. Okay, well, that, that was, uh, it was a little bit of 1950s Formula 2 and then uh, we went on a tangent, yeah, but it was think, a fun tangent. I didn't think you were going to go back that far because I was thinking the earliest F2 I can think of is the 60s. Well, we're going to come on to the 60s next. Thank you for that perfect segue. (laughs) After the break, we'll be going back uh, to the late 60s in Formula 2. 
And we're back in the studio for the Warwick F1 show. We're talking about, uh, well, Formula 2 and its feeder series. Uh, and we were, we're running through the history. We got through the 50s, um, kind of. Little tangent there, but we don't mind. Um, it's it's all good, uh, and and we'll move on to the sixties. And an interesting thing happened in the sixties, um, and that is well, first of all, our engine capacity has increased. Excellent, we like that. Um, up from the three liters that we had previously, and we also had an open category in Formula Two. Um, so Formula One drivers would regularly enter in Formula Two cars. They weren't eligible to score championship points, but they would regularly enter and win races in that series. So, guys, let's think about that in modern day terms. What do you reckon would happen if we allowed Formula One? Let's make it. Let's start off with organised. There's an extra. There's an extra car for each team in Formula Two, and you can put a Formula One driver in it. What do you reckon would? What do you reckon to that, Jimmy? Yeah, I think it's probably a lot of Formula Two teams are probably trying to get at least the, um, let's say, Formula Two graduates for people like Charles Leclerc or George Russell. Because I don't think, or maybe for all time's sake, people like Lewis Hamilton might want to go race back in the feeder series, just probably for nostalgia's sake. It'll probably be a very interesting aspect to see how up up and coming drivers will fare against current Formula One drivers. Do you think that's. Do you think that's something that's likely to happen, if that would be the case? Or would people be using it for more testing time, Will? I just don't I just don't see it as a possibility. I, I know it's not, but, but come on, entertain me. I think, well, hypothetically, testing time, it would. I think there'll be a lot of complaints about how it's, again, overshadowing some of the younger drivers. And realistically, in the 60s, they had, what, 10, 11 races maximum? F2 wasn't on race weekends. It wasn't like a streamlined structure. So these these drivers, they were their racers. They got bored. And it's like Jim Clark went and did a load of F2 because he wanted to just race a lot. And it, because they weren't on the same weekends, he could. I just don't see how Mercedes, especially, like that's, uh, any team, they, Verstappen, they wouldn't let Verstappen go... Red Bull wouldn't let Verstappen go in a car then for a sprint race. Mercedes wouldn't let Hamilton go in what a HWA or whatever. It just because of the the risk involved. Like let's say there's a bad accident. We've seen bad accidents. We had Mazepin and Aitken and Masashita in Sochi. Aitken and I want to say Giotto also in Sochi. He does not like Aitken. Does not like Sochi, but yeah, we've seen bad accidents, so I think it would just be too much of a risk, and I just don't really, you don't really see the need for it. Do F1 drivers need to go back into F2? They're already driving at the pinnacle. Okay, would well, I guess my point? I'll make another point. If they, if this is, we're still sticking with this hypothetical <laughs> scenario. Um, would they be good enough? Would there be that difference in a, in adaptation? If you went into a went onto the grid, um, say you put Nicholas Latifi in the car, is he able to um, do what he did in 2018, 19, 2019, and would he be able to come second in the championship? Or would they need that adaptation time? Is it is it too much of a difference between Formula One and Formula Two? Curious. I would say there's enough of a difference for the. Drivers who are not as experienced in F1, they'd probably need a couple of races to get back into the flow of things in F2. But for the more experienced guys, if they were to go in, I still don't think they would. But um, if they were to go in, I think they would get it, get on with the cars pretty much straight away. Um, and they would be able to 
perform at least in the top quarter of the field because um, they do have the experience and they are professional F1 drivers. They would have done really well in GP2, F2 in previous years in order to get to F1 in the first place. Um, but for the guys who are the, the rookies, they would probably find it somewhat difficult um, going back to F2 because there are some really good talents coming from F3, uh, another, I think, GP3 as well. I don't know if it's uh, back to, they put it back together again, but the drivers from those formats who have gone up as rookies into F2, you've seen drivers like Liam Lawson, Teo Porchard, Oscar Piastri. They have insane amounts of talent. And in cars that where pretty much everyone is relatively say, uh, the, uh, in similar performance, you can see some drivers go all out pretty raw when it comes to the race weekends and just trying to outdrive themselves and it, it could be quite risky but also you could see the experience of like Lewis Hamilton come out where they can evade incidents or anything and uh, it would be certainly make a very interesting weekend that, that's for sure Do you think it would give that comparison though? Like we know Oscar Piastri's good, he's winning this year's F2 Championship but is he good enough, is he better than last year's winner? You know, is he better than George Russell? who's won in 2018. Um, do you think that comparison would help F1 teams realise the potential, or do you think they already know that it's there, they're just not desperately interested in it? Well, I think there's so many different factors, because obviously Oscar Piastri isn't used to the speed of the like F1 cars, but equally a lot of the F1 drivers probably aren't used to anymore the, like, the lack of downforce that an f2 or f2 car like would provide so i don't think i think they've got enough in other areas i think they do test young driver testing all the time they've got this we're at the most we're at the most high-tech point the sport has ever been at and i think that there's a lot more like different ways of finding comparisons between either a driver like oh, let's say finding a comparison between an Antonio Giovinazzi and a Guan Yu Zhou and an Oscar Piastri and whoever else is and maybe even a Teo Porcher I think there's just different ways of doing it. I think um, from seeing drivers like Yuki, Yuki Tsunoda who I still think is uh, probably the best driver from last year could be uh, controversial from uh, many points uh, many opinions seeing how he hasn't done so well in F1 this year that there is a solid chance that drivers going back to F2, they just won't understand the cars and they could just completely lose out to some of the uh, some of the younger drivers that are in F2. So, I mean, we, we won't be able to see, uh, we won't be able to get a full full picture of how good these drivers are until they get to F1, really, um, So because the cars are different. And, uh, I mean, it would be useful to some extent, but then again, F1 is a different ballgame and having experience in the sport is probably more valuable to most teams than being good enough to. Okay, last word on this. Uh, and I'll, I'll ask Chimmy. Um Do you think is if, if, if still in a hypothetical world, do you think there's a situation where, I don't know, Robert Schwartzman goes and beats Carlos Sainz and then takes his seat for the next year? Do you think it's possible? One. Do you think if he did beat him, he would get the seat? Two. Uh, and... Um, Three is that is that I guess that's the same question, but is there that relevance, or were they just like would they just not care? I think there's every opportunity that Robert Schwartzman can be Carlos Sainz because, like I said, you don't know until they actually race each other. 
because it depends on the day. For example, for example, I don't know Lewis Hamilton. If he's coming back from COVID, he's not going to be in hundred percent. Or if he just has an off day, is making if he's spinning around. Like, I'll give it a good example. Bottas just did not have a good day in Turkey last year, spinning around. They come this year, exact same conditions. He's come and blitz the race. I mean. But even if Robert, say, Robert Trump would beat Carlos Sainz, to be brutally honest, Ferrari would still stick with the experience of Carlos Sainz because at the end of the day, he's been in Formula 1 for years. He has the experience of how to set up cars. And somebody like Ferrari would always prefer somebody to come up with the feeder series, go into a small, go into a uh, team further back in the grid, say Alfa Romeo or Haas or Williams, to develop their skill set and then come into Ferrari to, to race. And... And to be brutal, I don't think Ferrari would care all too much, but it, they might find it concerning if Robert Sherman does absolutely dominate signs. Okay, it's good point. Good points made there from Chimney. I've harped on on about this uh, long enough. We're gonna we're gonna fast forward through the history of Formula Two because surprisingly, a lot of it after the sixties, especially after Formula Three thousand comes in, is pretty similar to the modern day. But there was a time. When things changed up a little bit, official Formula 2 World Championship in 2012 run by Motorsport Vision or run with assistance with Motorsport Vision, uh, there's, a, there's a bit of an interesting story there and there's plenty of talking points. So after the break, we'll be right on that. And we're back for the Warwick F1 show, um, talking about Formula 2 and the feeder series and we're going through the history. Um, I, yeah, I said before, I'm going to put a bit of a fast forward on this one. So we were we were in the mid-60s and now we're zooming forward to the late 2000s, early 2010s. Uh, and F2 went under a, a little bit of a change. We had GP2 at the time, which is what is now the Formula 2 Championship. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but there was a proper Formula 2, which is separate from what it is now. Uh, run by the FIA and Motorsport Vision, which is the company that owns... Um, a lot of tracks here in the UK and owned by Jonathan Palmer. Um, and what they did was they took uh, all the cars, 30 cars, uh, and they ran them all separately. And they had just a whole bunch of mechanics and engineers and you get one per driver. So there were no teams, you know, no no shared, I guess, I guess pit crews were probably shared. I, I haven't watched it. It was back in 2009 and not very popular, but... Um, I want to. I want to know how that, how that would work uh, these days. Do you reckon um, in Formula Two we could see uh, the return of the one make series? We'll, we'll start with you, Will. I mean, probably not the return of the one make series, but conceptually, I think it's what the FIA want from F two. It's not what happens, and we'll get onto that. But I mean, it's a good idea in terms of it is a true spec series. The cars are the same. And it does, like, just, like, it brings out, like, the best drivers rise to the top. But as to whether it will happen again, I think now, probably not. Just because now it seems that we've really sorted out the structure of, of uh, the structure of, I guess, the road to F1. Yeah, so I guess uh, I'll just keep asking the same question. Chimay, what do you reckon? One team series, is it? Is it possible would you rather see that or would you rather stick with what we've got today i think like will said the biggest advantage of having that one make series is the fact that it's the drivers that come through it's always about the driving that really matters the most and that's why i think we miss a lot of the time in formula one that the cars make a mode a very considerable difference to the racing and that's what i really like 
well, that's what I really want to see in like feeder series. And like we want to see the best drivers go head to head with each other, and that's why I kind of prefer having a one make series as well. You know, like Will said, it's not entirely possible nowadays. Yeah. So how much difference do the uh, does the setup make? Because because of course we do have we have a one make series technically in Formula Two at the moment, but it's run by different teams. We've seen Prima dominate. Is that how much difference do you reckon that makes, Korea? So they just hire in the best people. I think it does make somewhat of a difference, but not to a, a serious extent in F2 at least. I think F3 is a different ball game entirely. But um, in F2, because we have we have had Prema um, pretty much lead the championship for the last two or three years, I think, and but they have had pretty decent competition from the likes of ART, Carlin, and you uh, and I Virtuosi in recent years. So. Yes, the setup does matter a lot, but there are, I would say, at least half the teams are pretty competitive um, when it comes to getting the setups right and having relatively similar performance so that the drivers who put out in pole in qualifying are usually the best drivers on the grid and it, it's not entirely down to the setup to as the reason why they are so far up. But when it comes to some drivers who end up getting lucky or maybe they don't, unlucky that is, they don't get the funding that they need and they end up um, with the teams that aren't so good at setups, they end up, you know, languishing in the at the back of the grid. Maybe getting a, a couple points or two throughout the season, but having to really just have their rookie season, just getting to grips with the car, and then hoping that um, the in their second season that they would be picked up by a better team who knows how to handle these cars properly, and for them to have a proper shot at the title. Yeah. So let me present an alternative. We're, we're kind of we're floating away from the one team thing but do you remember what W Series did not this year because they've changed it around but last year Will uh, enlighten me okay so W Series is obviously the, the female only um, racing series I guess it's kind of a feeder series I'll, I'll link it in that way um, but what they did was they selected their 20 drivers and then they had everyone join a team per race so you just change teams every race. Um, if there was if there was one team that had a technical advantage, then you'd get to drive for that team at some point in the series. Is that something we can do with F2? What do you reckon? Uh, I mean, I don't think it would be just because... Obviously, W Series was the inaugural season last year, so like these things take time to get onto their feet. I think the decision to bring it into like the whole F1 weekend structure was a really, really good decision. I think now, because sort of it is in the whole F1 race structure, you want it to look a bit more, I guess, organised. You want you want those teams. I think there's less of an imbalance between the teams, so I think it's, it's a bit easier to see, um, not merit, but like see which drivers are the best. Obviously, you've got Jamie Chadwick, Alice Powell. These drivers, they're probably the best female drivers or at least some of the best female drivers in the world and that is why they are at the top of the top of the tree at the moment in terms of the standings but i don't think that you would i don't think f i don't think w series will go back to the format they used in season one because why would you once you've got a team like a team structure in place then you might as well keep it like that okay Logistics aside, did it 
did it work or do you think it could work I mean I mean once you've got the teams there once you've got those 10 11 teams in Formula 2 it's hard to remove them from that but do you think maybe in 2017 they should have got rid of those teams because they did the, who was the last team to join I can't remember there were 10 teams at one point weren't there but could you could you just say like we'll buy all these cars from you and goodbye is that something we can do yeah probably I mean we can nothing is impossible in feeder series we've seen so many different changes happen over the past few years mm. yeah anything is really possible and... um I, what I would say is um, with Liberty Media I mean and the FIA and everything <laughs> I think they definitely have the power to make these changes and if they really wanted to make it a spec series um, and to really showcase the drivers it could be very good for them uh, from a branding perspective I guess to have everyone to say this is the true you know raw sport just where the drivers go head to head and you don't need to look at the drivers championship or I mean the constructors championship or anything you just you focus on your drivers you push the championship uh, the driver uh, championship narrative and uh, you're able to get a lot more people to the sport I would say if you if they were to buy everything out and like reimagine what F2 really is um, it could definitely work uh, whether they will do it well there'll probably be a lot of pushback from the current uh, teams in the sport because a lot of them are doing pretty successful in it already and with all the sponsors and uh, teams um, uh, and drivers and support that they already have um, established in the sport it would be quite difficult to do um, but definitely an interesting one yeah it's is, uh, is it right to have F2 teams? Okay, so F2 teams at the moment are, are in a bit of a dilemma. You can do the Prima approach. You can hire the best drivers from Ferrari Driver Academy and you go and win the championship. But you can also take the HWA approach. You can take your Alessio Deledas um, and the people who are paying you the most money. Should there be a financial incentive to hire bad drivers? Is that an issue in Formula 2? At the moment, let's, let's go for you, Will. I mean, money makes the world go round. You could argue that even in Formula One, we've got a few bad drivers that shouldn't be there mentioning no names. We all know who I'm talking about. But obviously, HWA is more near the back of the grid. They're not one of the better teams. So if they do want to stay in the sport, they're going to have to hire out the Deladers as much as we don't like him it but but um no i think that it's the problem is is that just although f2's in a weird place they were trying to cut costs that's why we do that did this calendar we'll come on to this calendar and how terrible it is but um but <laughs> we'll just i think it's an option it will always be an option to hire out drivers that pay the most I mean, we had we had the Lord and Saviour last year, <laughs> Ma- Lord Mahavir. Last year, it was, was two thousand nineteen, wasn't it? Years ago. I think so. Yeah. Oh, time is going wrong, but anyway, I think <laughs> I think that you're always going to have pay drivers. They're not going to get to F one without at least some talent. Is the realistic thing? Um, I think the problem F two has especially is that it's got the theoretical appearance of a spec series but as i've been saying f2 is not in any way a spec series because there are some teams that are much better than other teams 
okay. although they're just they're running the same chassis but they can run the different they can they can run different parts and those different parts are what matters i think the the only good thing about having pay drivers in f2 is the the likes of like sean galeo when he was in f2 his thing his dad was like because of how much uh, money he was putting into the team they could take on talented drivers and actually um make sure that they have a good shot in the second seat well we're really the first driver in the team but um for, for the title and I think that is something that uh, can be possible when you have paid drivers in Formula 2. Um, but then again, how how long will, if you are one of the teams at the back of the grid, how long do, are you willing to stay at the back of the grid even though you are earning money? And would you, uh, when would you actually like to go for a title and actually make um, make yourself a proper team in Formula 2 as like a proper title contender? I mean, it was... His dad bankrolled, not bankrolled, but gave Giovinazzi. That's the reason Giovinazzi's in F1, because I think he was teammates with Sean. Giovinazzi went to Asia, I want to say, for his pre-GP3, like GP3, GP2 like world days. And that is sort of like teamed up with like Sean Galeo and his father. And I think that is the reason Giovinazzi's in F1, which, to be... Cr- to give credit to Sean Galel's father, that's a that's quite an on not like an honourable thing to do. It's quite a proud thing to do. Bangwell, another driver that has ended up being better than your son, and giving him that opportunity to go for F one. Is that just because he's nice though, or is that because F two encourages that? I think then I feel like there has to be a, a level of integrity to even not even I guess not. Well, just upend the play. Like, the, the playing field between the two probably seemed quite level because Giovinazzi was performing better than Sean Galeau, and that's obviously been shown. So there would be an incentive to uneven the playing field in favour of your son, but, like, he didn't do that. So, or he might have done it slightly, but it didn't show in the end. And I think you you give them for full credit. I mean, you've got to understand that, obviously... If Sean Galel's father's got the money and his son wants to do F2, then it, logically that's what's going to happen. I mean, that's what's happening, like we said, with Mazepin and his father. It's just at a different scale. And to be honest, is what happening is what what's probably happening with Stroll and uh, like Lance Stroll and Lawrence Stroll. Even though I'd say that Lance Stroll now does deserve to be on the grid, but. Maybe he wouldn't have got there in the first place. Maybe he, he would have been another driver that slipped through the cracks or cracks like you're seeing with a Calamilo or um, just Nick DeVries. Nick DeVries, exactly. But, so yeah, maybe he would have become one of those drivers that just slipped through the cracks. Rather, but if you've got honestly, if you've got the money, then it's going to be a lot easier for you. But I think that's just how the world tends to work these days. Woo, on that note, um, we're going to take an advert break. (laughs) It's not, it's a music break. Uh, We're back with the Warwick F1 show, and uh, we've just just finished going through the histories of, uh, well, I guess the history of Formula 2 and some of the feeder series, and we'll get on to kind of modern F2 just after the hour um, but until then we've got a few minutes so what we're going to do is I want from these guys uh, we're going to try and organise a list of what makes a really good feeder series 
Um, I guess we'll, we'll just start with you. We'll start with the basic ones. Who could think of something? Go on, off you go, Jimmy. I think the obvious one is just like a, a feeder series is one that allows for potential young... You, well, a young driver has a lot of potential to really come out and shine. So I, you'll need a car that's reliable, that's pretty much the same with the rest of the grid, cheap to run. Like the cars do not make much of a difference. It's just something that allows for the drivers to really showcase their skills. So do you think what we have at the moment is good enough at that? Like, as we've, we've just... Coming back to what we were talking about before the break, the spec series, is that, is that good enough now? Or how, how much of a spec series does it need to be? Probably a complete spec series, to be fair, because at the moment, we don't really see a full-on, like, unif- uniform grid. Like, every, there seems to be the cars that go faster than others. For some reason, like, teams like Primer and ART are constantly always at the front of the grid. And other teams like HWA that seem to always be towards the back of the grid. Doesn't that help, like, create the narrative, though? Um, you know, if, if we didn't have that, would you... You'd, we, we'd, would, would you be worried about seeing what we see in Formula E, where we have 16 out of 24 drivers fighting for the... T- or 16 out of 20 drivers fighting for the title at the end of the season? Um, I think what we have... I, I disagree with uh, Jimmy, actually. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, what we have now is pretty decent because the, the the top the teams that are up um, further up in the standings, they, they are pretty similar. And even if we do have some teams languishing at the back with not being able to make uh, good setups and um, stuff I think what we have is pretty decent so we, we have at least 10 seats I would say where you can challenge for a, a title well maybe not a title but at least a top 3 top 5 finish which is what you really need if you want to get into F1 and uh, as long as you're demolishing your teammate it, you still have a, a very good chance of getting into F1 but I think the one thing that Jimmy did uh, uh, talk about is uh, reliability and uh, how having cars that uh, have their fire extinguisher go off in mid-race is not exactly what you want to see in a championship fight because when you, when you look at the standings and you see, oh, one driver's got zero points one weekend, even though they've been getting podiums throughout the entire season, you're, you're wondering what happened here. And, uh, and unless you were keeping up to date with everything, which I'm sure the teams are doing, but um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be so nice if, for example... Um, Oscar Piastri got both of his fire string in, next, in the next couple of races. Uh, that's not drinks it, but um, his fire extinguisher goes off in the next couple of races and he loses the championship to Joe. It would definitely not look good for uh, F2 and uh, it's not something that we want to see um, for any driver to happen, uh, let alone in a spec series where everyone should have equal chances and luck shouldn't be involved in a spec series. In F1, it's a completely different ball game, but... In F2, it, it, it really does need to be, just be raw talent, and that's pretty much it. Okay, so we've got we've got the kind of at least nearly even playing field. We've got reliability. Where do we fall on the performance versus cost spectrum? Um, it is probably too much at the moment. Obviously, that's what they were trying to do with the calendar, but I think everyone has decided that that calen- the calendar we've got is terrible. We'll probably we'll come on to it in the modern F1 or F2 section. So I won't dwell on it for too long. I'll go rant about it later. But um, we will... It's, yeah, it's too expensive, I think, especially for the drivers. Because it is such a cutthroat world, you're getting, you're getting drivers that are talented, won't um, be able to find a seat. Like Callum Eilat is, is the prime example of that. And almost... I want to say that 
the rule that you can't redo the championship if you win it isn't probably good anymore. I think, especially with how the grid, F1 grid is, I think you do want to... Maybe maybe we do limit it, but maybe we limit it to two or three. I think one, especially when you've not got like a Mick Schumacher who's obviously being groomed to get into F1 because he is A, a good driver, and B, the name recognition is off the scale there. When you've got like... Let's say if Callum Eilert had won last season, which he very easily could have, he wouldn't have been allowed to go back into F2 regardless of whether he could or not, which I just don't think is the best idea. I think sometimes there just aren't any spaces like on the grid. 2019, for example, I think we had one driver in Nicholas Latifi come onto the grid, but no one else like no one else came on. I think, were there even a few movings around or was that the only driver transfer that year from 18 to 19? Well, definitely stepping up to Formula One, that was the only one. Yeah. Um, We've got about 30 seconds before I need to play this last song. The, um, I mean, yeah, I'll finish quickly. So, yeah, I think <laughs> the uh, the one thing I would change is making it cheaper. The and, or maybe the two things then, making it cheaper and getting rid or at least reforming the rule that says you can't go back into the championship if you have already won it. Okay, where are we? Where are you on performance and cost, Jermaine? I agree with Will. I think having the sponsorship is playing too much of a role right now in the feeder series. Okay, what about you, Chris? Um I would say they should make it less of a world championship and just keep it in Europe, and that would be a good way of keeping costs down because you have drivers in F3 like Logan Sargent who have a lot of potential and they've shown it, but they just they can't. Uh, get a good seat in F3, um, let alone even get into um, get a good shot in F2 when they do have the talent to, uh, to make it. Okay, so that'll do us for the first half of the program. We've got some rough idea of what makes a good feeder series. So we'll be go on to the actual F2 championship, the current feeder series. And then at the end of the program, we'll try and make up either some changes or complete reinvention, see what we can do, see if we can do better than the FIA. And welcome back to the Warwick F1 show. It's the top of the hour on Raw 12.51am. My name is Jack Rowe, joined by the head of uh, Raw Sport, Will Kingswood, and my two guests, Jim Abarathia and Curious Paul. And we're talking about the feeder series of F1, most, most, most predominantly F2, I guess. And we're actually going to talk about F2 now, because up till now we've talked about what made a good feeder series and and about the history of Formula 2. But let's talk about the current F2 championship. From 2017 onwards, of course, taking over from GP2, um, everything came a bit more streamlined, a bit more directed to Formula 2. Um, I guess this segment... No, no real... There's no real format here. I've, I've not really got any questions to ask. Um, but... We'll talk about the actual format of Formula 2. We'll start with that. So, uh, from 2017 to 2019, it was... Remind me, Will. I think it was... Okay, oh. we'll go We'll go to Chinmay then. Uh, it was one feature race and one sprint race? Yeah, I think it's that they did qualifying on the Friday, and then they reversed, I think, the first... I think the top ten for the... Sprint race. I th- so, was it the? I thought it was the feature race. So, yeah, so feature race was first, 
and and then it was like the first top eight or something was swapped around for the sprint race on the Sunday. Yes, so they did qualifying. So basically, think an F1 weekend. You obviously got a bit of practice. They do qualifying, then they have the feature race. It's a normal race, normal. Obviously, they've done the qualifying. Then, once you've got the feature race, they take the top eight in the feature race, reverse the top eight, and then sprint. And then that was, in my opinion, the best week. Like, it, it is a really good structure. Because it rewards, it rewards qualifying, it rewards a good performance in the feature race, and it brings in that jeopardy that you want. If you let's say, like, if you're in ninth with a lap to go, you can get that position. You're suddenly starting on sprint race pole, and it makes it all the difference. So I think just it, it was a good structure. Okay, what do we reckon to reverse grid? I mean. There's a lot of argument about it, right? Because if you do finish, you're right, ninth, then your chances in the sprint race of getting points are fairly gone, especially compared to where if you finish eighth, right? If you look at the, where the championship standings are uh, and you assume that everything stays in the same order, which in some tracks, you know, if you can't get the overtaking right, it's so important. If you're faster than the person in eighth place, you know, you might not have a hope of scoring points. What do you reckon, Curious? Is it, is it all right for the feeder series? For something like the feeder series, yeah, absolutely. I think because uh, um, when it comes to uh, trying to find talent, it's not just about qualifying and it's not just about raw race pace. It's about trying to find how good you are when it comes to wheel-to-wheel combat and uh, how good you are at um, managing your tyres over the race distance and trying to get past other drivers at the same time. So having um, the reverse grid from the previous uh, year's format anyway... Um, where you have the fastest driver end up in eighth place and have to climb his way back up, you're going to have to see, does he have the pace and the ability to overtake drivers in front of him who are theoretically slower? And maybe even if drivers who are now no longer in the traffic, whether they can flourish uh, when they're at the front of the grid instead. And uh, I think the differences in these um, positions during uh, a reverse grid is what can show... Uh, can bring out more from what um, a driver can do and what they can be um, and I think that's what is really great about a sprint race and we may not be able to apply it to F1 I know some people would like that but in F2 it's certainly something that we want to see um, in the grid So you think it's more of a tool for the drive, for the for the teams to use to, to examine how the, the drivers perform? Absolutely because um, when it comes to the drivers you could have a feature race every single weekend but I think we would just, we were, of course, talking about the spec uh, series uh, nature of the sport and how some teams were better. Um, I think with this, it would truly reflect how good the drivers are because at the end of the day, overtaking is much harder than just driving around a track where you've got no one in front of you. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, how much, we didn't, we didn't mention this before, but how important is it for a feeder series to be interesting? It sounds dumb, right? Because, of course, you want people to come and watch it, but when the teams aren't there to be financially viable for themselves, except for getting money from drivers. So is it beneficial to have something like this or, or something like in Formula E, like um, activation zones? Is it is it useful to have something a little bit gimmicky that gets interest up, or is it more useful to have keep it straight line so it's exactly like it would be in Formula 1? Um. <clears throat> it's always nice to spice things up a little bit. So I think I'll probably go 
a little bit on the more f- of the Formula E side in terms, in terms of things. Because like Formula Two, I mean, like a good feeder series is probably not just provides a good uh, bridge to Formula One, but it's also like because it's a completely different series to Formula One in, in that respect is because it's not exactly the same thing. It's good to have something different to help spice things up, make the races more interesting, and also just test drivers' abilities in overtaking or in dominating the field. Yeah, you you raise a good point. Um, so let's come to the the current format then. Things changed around this year because of cost cutting measures, right? Um, instead of going to twelve races in the championship, they've been to I think it's eight, isn't it? Um, or they they will be to eight. F three's already finished, which is in fact let's let's talk about that. We'll come on to the format in just a second. Formula three's finished. I, I mean. How can you say? Is that too early? Does it need to extend over the Formula One season? Because it's a Formula One feeder series, right? But you know, it's it's done by fourteen races in. How, how, how would you change that? Right, I'm fine with F3 being finished now because realistically, drivers have done it in the past, but they're not likely to come up from F3 to F1 anymore. So the results of F3 determine like which drivers are more likely to go into F2. And realistically, we're fine with that. Hauger will probably be in, in F2 God, let's next hope. year. But, hang on, what was the question? So, what was the question? Is it, is it fine that they've ended so soon? Because so yeah, otherwise, you do get what we've got in F2, or we've got really long gaps in the middle. What's what's the ideal scenario? There? So, I'm more unhappy that F2 hasn't finished yet. Because the real problem with the F2 calendar this season is that it is in no it's way too spread out we have basically we've sorted out the majority of the seats this season how many how many driver changes have there been so you've you've got the so william seat has been i mean that's three changes right you get bottas to alfa romeo then russell and then albon yeah so that's a cycle of so the william seat which could have gone to an f2 driver has been taken uh, one of the Alfa Romeo seats is gone. That could have gone to an F2 driver. Uh, obviously, like, and then you're getting into the seats that F1 drivers were probably destined to take up, like Russell to Mercedes. But we're left with one seat left by the time of the sixth round. We are n- we're nine races out of maths twenty four away from the end of the season we're what over a third of the way from the end of the season it doesn't give the drivers the option to have that opening to like put in a late season charge like we saw last season with Mick Schumacher who wasn't I think by probably by the equivalent time last year he wasn't looking like the driver that many people thought would win the championship I think it was uh, Callum Eilert I want to say Yuki Sonoda was still up there. Who else? And Schwartzman as well. But like, we're not going to get that this year. And to be honest, it's just I just don't think the 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 changes have had the desired effect. Have they have they cut costs? They must have surely. I think they have. Um, I'm 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 in agreement with you. I think uh, the championship should finish about three quarters of the way through the F1 season because then you you have. Um, the chance for drivers to, you know, get their almost resume out there to all the other teams and show them how well they have been performing. And 
you wouldn't have those huge gaps where you can have complete uh, differences uh, in performance uh, occur. You you can have a consistent championship, consistent races on a regular basis, so you can keep fans engaged, um, which is important for sponsors and for the teams, um, and also uh, allows the drivers to just make sure that they are completely focused uh, in in the sport and they don't have to go do something else, maybe like Liam Lawson was doing with DTM or something. They can be completely focused in F2, um, make sure that they get the performance out, try and get a spot in F1 if they do well, uh, and even if they don't, they have the rest of the year to you know do another uh, um, category if, if they're still open. Um, and also... Have a think about if they're going to be returning to the F2 next, the, the next year or if they're going to do something else. It gives them time. And for young drivers, that's something that they really do need. I mean, F1 is a sport about time, all motorsports is. And it, it's something that they really do um, require if they want to make it to F1 and make it to the pinnacle of motorsport, which for most of these drivers, that is their dream. Okay, so I, I'm going to present solutions to problems we're finding it a bit later but i want to i want to present something now what if we ran the f2 season in the first half of the season before the summer break and then run f3 afterwards have it completely done by the time silly season starts does that work for you or do you think that's gonna detract away from f3 does it stop f3 drivers getting into f2 because all the f2 seats are gone what do you reckon Jimmy? i mean yeah i mean it probably means that the F2 seats are filled up quicker and the fact that F3 hasn't even started by then, they wouldn't even allow for the F3 drivers to start building their resumes for them to get into F2 seats themselves. And yeah, and to be fair, if F2 finishes by the summer break, it is a quite a big gap between F2 and F... between the end of the F2, end of the F1 calendar and start of the F1 calendar for the next season as well. So yeah, it is a pretty... and it's a pretty big weight for the drivers, even if they might to secure an F1C, say, by, I don't know, Spa, which is generally the first race back after summer, it's kind of be quite a big weight for them. Yeah, what do you reckon then? Is it is our only solution just to have more races, more spread out, ignore the the little bit of cost-cutting that we're going to get from that? I mean, surely you can just... Can't you just bring in a cost-cap, like we've seen in F1? I think there are other methods of possibly reducing costs as opposed to this. And to be honest... I've credit to the FIA that they have done this and they have gone because we are going back to either I think it's either a similar format or it's a format that's almost exactly exactly the same as the one we saw uh, last year and I think uh, to be fair to the FIA they've seen it's not worked and they've reversed their reversed their decision hopefully it doesn't impact on too many people Oscar Piastri but I think that what, to be honest, what, 18? So Nick DeVries won it in 17. Was it? 19. 19. 19. 19. Oh my God, what's <laughs> Who? Hang on, who won it in? Leclerc. Leclerc. So it was Leclerc, Russell, and um, Norris was the first year. No, Leclerc won 2017. Oh no, but they were, the, they were like the first batch of like. Yeah, 2018 was Norris, Russell, and Albon came through. Yeah, yeah, because Albon was so in uh, 2017. He was fighting against Leclerc for the championship. I think. When did Lat- I thought Latifi won it at one point? No, uh, Latifi was second in 2019 to Nick DeVries. Oh, that was a poor grid that year. Yeah, DeVries has gone on and proved himself, hasn't he? Though, Where, what point were we making again? I've lost the point now. Um, cost to do with F1, cost, F2. Yeah. 
and how we can I uh, think, reduce that. I think there are just different ways of bringing it back. And then I was saying, like, credit to the FAA, they're probably reverting to what we had because, I mean, what I was going to say is that what we had in F2 was really entertaining. Obviously, we had that year that, no one, that there were a lot of issues with starts and stuff. I think reliability of the cars is something that still needs to be worked on. But if we are going back, I think just find different ways to reduce costs. And then you have got a really good feeder series into F1. Okay, well, I guess on that note, it was a very good ending point. We should take a break. So this is, uh, is going to hurt by the Larkins. And we'll be back afterwards and we'll be discussing... See if I can get my thing out. Oh, we'll be discussing the best and worst of the F2 and F3 drivers we've seen move into Formula 1. And we're back in the Raw 1251am studio uh, for the Warwick F1 show. We're motoring through the uh, F2 and feeder series um, uh, championships. And we're going to talk about probably, I mean, the bit you've all been looking forward to, the actual F2 championships that we ha- we've had over the years. It started back in 2017, of course. Um, and I want these guys, probably the end of this segment, to pick uh, the best F2 driver we've had uh, in Formula 1 currently and, and the worst as well. Um, but let's start right back at the start. 2017, were you guys watching back then? It wasn't, no. it wasn't really coverage. I feel like 2018 was the first year it really got brought into the whole yeah, like, I'd have structure. Because uh, I think I, I, watched, I started watching the 2018, but I, uh, and it was when I was watching that that I watched like, the highlights for the 2017. I didn't really watch. I didn't really know it was on, to be honest, because um, they had changed their name. Yeah, I think that's... Because it... Maybe it was 2018, because now you've said that, I seem to recall that they basically took the GP2 championship and the GP2 teams and just kept them as it was. Um, we do have that famous Leclerc moment, though, at um, Baku. Uh, was it a bit... Was that... No, that was Formula 1, but... Which one are you thinking? No, I'm thinking... There was a 2017 at Baku moment. There was, like, chaos in that corner or something. I can't, I can't quite remember. Yeah, 2017 was rebranded GP2, wasn't it? It was still GP2. It still had GP2 teams. Um, 2018 was when uh, F3 uh, came in as well, rather than GP3. So I guess we'll start there. We had Leclerc in 2017, of course. Um, the Ferrari Driver Academy now in Ferrari. Um, how, how's he been doing in Formula 1? Yeah, I feel like bit, people know. but bit, bit mad, really. No, oh, he's had... Okay. So, 2017, obviously, wins. 2018 goes to... Sauber. What was then known as Sauber. Then moves straight to Ferrari for 2019, takes two wins. Or was there a third that I can't remember? It was two. It was two in uh, Belgium and the home of Ferrari, Italy. Then, since then, obviously, Ferrari been on a downturn in form. Uh, two podiums in 2020, not bad with that terrible, terrible car. And this season, he's got one additional podium? Or have I forgotten another one? He got a podium in Britain, just being overtaken by Hamilton in the final few laps. And unless there's another one recently, I think that's the only podium. Just one? Just one. Cool. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I guess, is that the way that the feeder series should work? Should it be the same way that we've seen with Albon, where they step into the they step into the, the second seat um, and then they go straight up to the team? Jimmy? Um, yeah, I mean, but 
I think Albon was promoted to Red Bull a bit too quickly, in my opinion. I think it was a really good development for a drive to stay at one's back teams and to really develop themselves, get used to the Formula One, and really start developing themselves as a driver before really stepping onto the top teams because that way it allows them to really deal with the pressure more than if they were just booted into the top team straight away. Because when you get booted straight away, there's so much pressure with you to bring the fight to the front, but it's more than more likely than not you're going to be crum- crumbling under that pressure. Okay, let's move on. 2018, incredible year for F2, right? Uh, we had the, we've got the, I guess we got the, the third or the, the extra three of the Twitch quartet, but we had a great um, battle, especially from a British point of view, between uh, Russell and Norris. Uh, Albon, of course, there as well, um, joins F- F1 the following year. So those three, I want to look at the paths they've taken from Formula 2, um, especially contrast the top two in the championship. Russell at the moment um, just just finally finished his third year at Williams, um, I think. Was it his second? Third year. Third, third year. year, 2019. Oh, he's first. about to, yeah. And now he'll be stepping up into Mercedes. Whereas we can look at Norris, he went straight into that McLaren seat, and he, of course, doing fantastically. So, we said, one year for Leclerc seemed good enough. One year for Albon, or it was half a year, wasn't it? Yeah. It, yeah. Yes, it was half a year. How, what, okay, half a year for Albon, not long enough. Three years for Russell, is that too long? Um, I would say absolutely. I absolutely, I, I'm a bit of a Russell fan. I very much hated the fact that he wasn't in the seat this year. Um, thank God he is next year. But, uh, yeah, I think two years is the ideal number of years for um, an F2 graduate uh, to get into, uh, acquainted into a, a solid midfield team um, and then get uh, their opportunity to go into... Um, one of the top three, top four, the pro, uh, an actual title contending team uh, later on in their career. Of course, then you could say with Russell, he wasn't really in a midfield team at the time, so he didn't really get the time to show his uh, racing abilities. And it's only this year that he's been able to show it properly. So, yeah, two years is, I think, the ideal. But you can have drivers, your Leclerc's, even going back much further, you know, your Lewis Hamilton's who straight into a championship winning uh, championship capable car and they just out the blocks straight out the blocks they were performing uh, I think with the best drivers they will perform regardless of what car they're in but for most uh, F2 drivers you, they need to be um, nurtured into the sport and uh, need to get their time in to get their feet wet and then actually um, get their chance to go for titles and help their team out if you want some of the newest talent do you need a second team? If you're McLaren, it's the next step to go and you know, make a contract with Haas or make a contract with a lower team like Mercedes have, like Red Bull have, like Ferrari have. Is that required for them? I mean, realistically, for Russell and Norris, it, was the, it wasn't the ideal scenario, but it was a scenario that, were mu- that was much more likely to be set out. You have Russell, who most people view as one of the greatest talents of like his generation and obviously it makes sense for mercedes that when they are in such a dominant dominant position they don't really want to risk it until they're sure that russell is ready so that is why they put him in williams and williams have benefited from that they've 
Well, they benefited from that definitely this year. Obviously, the last two years have been a struggle for them. But, I mean, even with the car performance that maybe Russell Boy, he was getting into Q2 uh, a few times last year. He was um, like giving them hope, essentially. Right Not the podium. Yeah, <laughs> got a podium this year. Norris, I mean, McLaren don't have a second team. It makes sense that he would go into the first team. I think with those two especially, they are gearing up to be the talismans. They're the number one drivers for at least for the next five years. Leclerc probably is also in on like of that like talisman era. Like he'll be the lead driver at Ferrari probably either level with Schumacher eventually, or maybe Schumacher will be better, we don't know. So Norris makes sense for him to go to McLaren, just find his feet, especially as McLaren was still like climbing back up the rankings from I think very poor twenty fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. They're still climbing back, so it makes sense you start climbing back with new blood. And then but then you got Albon who I think just got weird I think got unlucky in the the Red Bull second seat is the problem with that Curse. No, the, yeah, but the problem with that car is it's so built for Max Verstappen. No, I think I think there is there's something about his driving style I think has been said that makes it in, that makes that car incredibly difficult for a lot of drivers to handle. So I just think that Albon got unlucky. Is he? I is he on the level of the other two? I think pro- possibly with time, and I think it's, if he goes to Williams, he's partnering back up with Latifi, who was his teammate in twenty eighteen. So they they know each other. They can they can get along well, and Williams are coming back up. So I think in the end, it's worked out for Albon, but initially. It did seem like he was, I guess, one the one of the four that sort of fell before he could fly, essentially. Yeah, I do think that Albon will get his sort of Gasly redemption story at Williams. Um, I think I think he will, uh, to put it simply, destroy Latifi because he absolutely destroyed him in F2 in 2018 when they were teammates. And yes, Latifi will know the team, know the car, but I think Albon is just the better driver. Um, is he as good as uh, Russell and Norris? I would say not, because when Russell and Norris um, were in F2, they were they were in their rookie seasons. It was Albon's second or third season in the in F2 that year. Uh, was second? Yeah, second uh, that year. So um, he he definitely showed he had talent, and uh, he did it faster than uh, Latifi or Defri, I think, um, when it came to doing so well. So he he is capable. Um, he just needs time, and we've seen enough too where he was given a second chance, and he was able to perform. So at Williams, he should be able to flourish. Um, I can definitely see him in like a sort of Perez, Bottas, Gasly sort of role uh, at, at many different teams. You know, a solid midfield lead driver, uh, maybe even a, a second driver for one of the top teams if he is able to perform well enough. Um, but yeah. I don't think he's uh, the same tier as Norris and Russell, really. Uh, the other two are just something else. They're built built from different stuff. Okay, we're, we're uh, moving rapidly on. Um, in fact, just before we did, uh, Jimmy, you're the latest F2 graduate. You, you've just won the season. You've got a, an option. You can do 
what Leclerc did. You get one year in Sauber, you go to Ferrari, you can do what Russell did. You get three years at Williams, you go to Mercedes, or you can do what Norris has done and you just stick to one team that's rising up the order. What do you do? I think, personally speaking, I'll probably say I like Norris's situation the most because you're staying with the same team, you're climbing off the grid, and especially in the long run, you end up being in the championship contending car, starting the same team you've been there from the you've been in from the start. You know the team, you know how how the team runs, and pretty much you've established yourself with that team in the sport, and you couldn't really have a better team chemistry, and just just in that respect, and also being with the, in Norris's case as well, you, this is more to do with his case. You, he's in a team that knows how to win a championship because this is McLaren. This is the second most successful team of all time. So in a way, I would say probably I'd rather be in Norris's situation over the, the other two. Do you think that's changed because of 2022 though? If, would you rather spend ages uh, in that development team and get into the championship winning car if the regs weren't changing? Um. <clears throat> It's hard to tell, but I feel like just maybe just weighing some some who like Russell who's waited for three years. I just feel it's a bit too long. It's like he's well overdue that Mercedes seat now. I think it's just a bit too long for Russell. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, I guess we got to talk about the modern three as well and Latifi as well. Um, plus. Ah, we've got so much to talk about. I'm going to have to cut <laughs> some of the later programming because I don't want to stop. Um, let's talk about the forgotten drives of, of, of F2 because we've we've talked about the, the four probably at the moment that we can say F2 has served the best, but who's it forgotten? I mean, at the moment, Nick de Vries, especially. Um, Callum Ilock, we saw last year, um, second in the championship. He has no seat. And we're looking at the potential of Oscar Piastri maybe winning the championship and having to do what Nick de Vries has done. So let's start with Nick de Vries. Has he been done dirty? Is, is that rule that um, you can't come back into the championship? Is that really affected him? Curious. Um, I would say he's had a good opportunity by going to Formula E instead. So yes, he hasn't had the opportunity that I feel like he should have taken the Williams seat instead of Latifi. Um, if Williams weren't, you know, looking for sponsors or anything, but because I do think he is a better driver than Latifi, but he has gone to a works Mercedes team at, at form in uh, the Formula E series, and he's gone on to win the World Drivers Championship with uh, with them. Uh, so it's clear that he has talent, and he should have had a chance in Formula One, but he's found his footing in Formula E, and he's done a really good job there, and I think. Even though he's lost an opportunity, he's got another opportunity that you could argue is an even better one because with the way Formula E is going, it it could be the standout uh, series of the future instead of Formula 1, so you never know. I mean, I, that's a very, very debatable you come one. On, you it? come on this podcast <laughs> and slander the great name of Formula 1 over Formula that. If we say that Formula One is the pinnacle, if if Nick De Vries is aiming for that, um, has he got chance anymore? Is because he showed he's good enough, right? Yeah, no, he's, he's won. Not. He's he... won two championships in two years, and in, in two of the best Formula racing uh, series there are. Yeah, he's not got a chance. How old? Right, how old is he now? What twenty? I just had his. I just had his Wikipedia page up. He he's is quite old now. Isn't twenty. He? Yeah. Right, so he's twenty-six. It took him. Oh, f- ancient. 
Yeah, but you say that, but it, it sort of is. In Especially in F1, coming into F1 terms, it is quite old. It did take him three seasons to win F2 as well. And arguably the 2019 season was one of the weakest grids that we've had. Well, I'd say probably the weakest grid that we've had. Maybe this year's not brilliant, is it? Uh, no, I disagree. I think okay, uh, we'll go. Uh, we'll go, uh, we'll yeah, come yeah. on to that. But 2019, we it was a weak grid. Took him three seasons to win it. When you're comparing like debut seasons for Leclerc, debut season for Russell. Albon, two seasons, but he's up there in third in 2018. Debut season for Norris, who's up there in second. I just don't think that... if he. I think if he had more money, like like we, I've said before, I think he would have got a seat. I just don't think that he will. And I'm, a, I'm wondering what he'll do now, but especially if Mercedes is coming out of Formula E. To be honest, if they... I could see them doing a hypercar entry with their new Project One. He's, and that he's might been be racing in uh, WEC as well. I can't remember. It might have been LMP2, yeah. I think. I think WEC or, yeah, WEC or, yeah, whatever class of car he wants to drive is probably where he's going to end up. But I just can't see a way for him into F1 anymore. I think this year was the last chance with one of the Williams seats, either taking that seat off a vacated Russell or replacing Latifi, but realistically, what now? You think Albert and Latifi is a fairly long-term project, or at least a few years. By then, he's, what, 28, 29, and he is too old to go into F1. So I think it's sort of over for De Vries in terms of F1 hopes. Okay, but moving on very quickly, we've seen Ilot, right? He's, uh, you know, arguably he's good enough. For, oh, God, don't do that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we can hear you much better now. Um, uh, yes, uh, sorry. Apologies for deafening you. Um, Callum Mylot is in an IndyCar next year. Is that something... Because we've seen Grosjean move to there. I mean, we've got Ericsson's over there as well. Are we going to start seeing more and more and more Formula 1 drivers or Formula 2 drivers who can't get that seat? Are they going to move it there? Are they going to go to Formula E? Is it something that's only been a problem for these one maybe this year as well uh, what what's going what do you reckon for the future Shinmei? I reckon maybe we might especially in the next couple of years or the next few years at least that uh, we'll probably see more F2 drivers start making their way to other other series like IndyCar because IndyCar is almost in a way you can say the American version of Formula 1 that America only version of Formula 1 and to, and we've seen Grosjean, he's made his move into IndyCar, and he's having a blast of a time there. He got a podium, pole position, and now this year he signed, next season he signed up with one of the top teams with Andretti. Yeah. And Marcus Ericsson is, seems to be pretty comfortable over there in IndyCar as well. And especially with the lack of seats we've got in Formula 1, especially with the, with the whole raft of new, new generation talents we've had in the last couple of years, so basically meaning we have practically no room for people, for new rookies in Formula 1 for the next couple of years at the very least. It, we're definitely going to see drive, F2 drivers looking elsewhere for more for more chances in other series. Yeah, off, okay, we're going to have to take a break. Um, the uh, When we come back, we'll be talking about the drivers new to this year, uh, which are Latifi, sorry, not, I can't, I can't get this right, Schumacher, Mazepin and Sonoda, 
We'll be asking these guys who's the best and who's the worst of the F2 uh, graduates, and we'll be looking into some alternatives or slight adaptations to the F2 calendar. And And we're back with the final segment of the Warwick F1 show, talking about Formula 2 and the feeder series. We didn't quite finish what we were talking about. We've still got to talk about the most recent graduates to Formula 1. And those are, of course, let me get this right this time, Schumacher, Mazepin and Sonoda. Those two two goats going to Haas. Uh, we were just talking about this in the... In the advert break, um, but I, I want to get that on live. So, what do you reckon to those two guys? What would you have said, Curious? Um, in F1, Schumacher has been has definitely been performing far better than Mazepin. I mean, as I was saying uh, when we were off, not live, uh, the only entertainment Mazepin has brought is uh, he's been a sort of carousel in the background, uh, just spinning away. Um, so, if if there was ever a dull race, uh, it there certainly wasn't for Mazepin. Um, but Overall, Schumacher has pretty much dominated uh, that that house seat, and uh, I mean, it, we saw it last uh, last time when he brought it into Q2 somehow. Uh, absolute miracle, right there! Yeah. And uh, he's shown his talent. We can just hope that he'll get a few more seasons and hopefully get into another seat, so that uh, maybe with another driver who has more experience, that we can truly see how good he really is. On that note, uh, are Haas able to say that? You know, Schumacher is good enough to go take them or uh, Ferrari, I suppose. They're the ones that are really looking. Are they able to say that, yes, Schumacher is doing a great job? Or do they need someone in that car? Or do they need a, a more midfield team um, to, to be able to say that, like Alpha Tauri, for example? I mean, that car is terrible. It's like the worst, probably the worst car we've had since the end of the one, the end of Marussia. I'd say it's worse than the 2019 Williams because even that somehow that thing got a point. Not sure how that happened, but I think I saw somewhere where I think last year the Hasses were actually on average the worst qualifiers. Uh, even last year, well, I mean year. Haas only got uh, Magnussen got one point in Hungary with a very good tire strategy. Yeah, uh, Grosjean got two in Germany but I think we had about seven cars left by the end of that race yeah if Schumacher gets a, a point oh no Mazepin's going to score first I'm willing to put money <laughs> on it because that's just how these things work but yeah Schumacher's been better than Mazepin I think that's easy to say and I guess we'll bring in the third driver he has also been better than Sonoda in my humble opinion what do you reckon is that debatable for you Chimmy? No, solid order, Schumacher, Sonoda, Mazepin in oh, in decreasing order of performance of this year. It's, I think there's just, for me, there's, it's just so clear cut of how everyone's performed this year. Like, Schumacher's got into Q2 twice. In a half, that's like very impressive. Sonoda's got into Q3 three times. Compared to his teammate who's got there 13 times. Sonoda's he's had a lot of crashes. They've all they all have actually. They've all been quite crash happy, the three that have come in this year. But just the Schumacher's in one of the worst casts we've seen in a long time. Sonoda's in a mid a mid like it's a car that's fighting for fifth place in the championship. And at the moment it is the biggest one one team fight on the entire grid because it's Gasly is putting in all the effort Sonoda has not performed this season it seemed like everyone thought he was going to be the driver that would like dark horse like dark horse driver who would come in in his rookie season and be really good but he has just not performed and I think 
you've got to give more credit to Schumacher for just doing what he's doing in a car that is so terrible. I think Tsunoda really has to show what he what he showed in F2 in uh, uh, last year, um, next year, really, uh, how well he can really perform in F1. And uh, if he doesn't perform next year, he is going to get replaced because there are drivers like Liam Lawson, um, Dennis Hauger, I think he's also a Red Bull uh, driver. Um, all, they will be waiting on the sidelines to get that seat. Um, if he doesn't perform, he will be axed. And he's really his only lifeline, I think, is just really Honda saving him um, from being axed. And uh, I hope he performs well because we know how capable he is. He did jump like uh, to a new series every year uh, and he performed really well every single time. So he certainly is a capable driver. Let's just hope he can do it next year because his time is really running out. Do you think things would be different if, I mean, one, he's in the team two years ago uh, where they're a little bit more trigger happy and getting rid of people. I guess that's that's more Red Bull than AlphaTauri, isn't it? Um, but, this, you know, there's still the same management there. And two, if there were better Red Bull alternatives. I mean, Derivalo's not quite performing to good enough. Um, Lawson and Vips have been just a little bit off the pace that we might have expected from them. Do you think that? Do you think that's like Sonoda getting lucky, or do you think there's more patience from AlphaTauri? I think there's a good mixture of both, really, because I think I think Red Bull and AlphaTauri have learned that they shouldn't really be booting drivers as quickly as they have them for the last couple of years. I mean, they made the mistake with Albon, like literally kicking him into the bedpool seat six months after of literally racing in Formula One, and he's not been. And he wasn't able to bring the pace of a stop in, even though probably the reasons for that are something for another day. But not just that, I think also because I think there are no Red Bull juniors at the moment who's definitely ready to be in Formula One. So I think Sonoda is also a bit more lucky in that respect. So, but yeah. Okay, and can yeah, you got a point. I don't. I don't think they have learned, and I think they've just run out of drivers. To, to put back into that Red Bull seat. <laughs> because obviously we've had... Gasly's gone up and down. Albon's gone up and down. And then they have just run out of drivers that they really... Get Kvyat back. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Kvyat's gone up and down. They've run, out of, they've run out of drivers who are experienced enough to send up, in a way. That's why they've gone to Perez. They're they prob- they waiting at the, at the moment for another good performer for either Yuki Tsunoda to perform better, Liam Lawson, Yuri Vips, even Jahan Daruvala. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Everyone, everyone's shaking their heads. <laughs> but I think they have just run out of drivers to use. They should uh, bring Kvyat back and just boot him straight away because I think it will give uh, Max Verstappen a free win. I think that's a, I think that's a stat where uh, every time Kvyat gets booted, uh, Verstappen does, has a good race, so he, he might win a championship. He just Kvyat. gets hired and fired seven <laughs> times for the rest of the season. I mean, if that guarantees a championship, I'm sure a lot of people would be happy to see that. No, <laughs> no okay, we'll, we'll move on a little bit. Um, I've entirely forgotten what my next point was going to be because you're so... We're such such good guests. I know. I love you all. Um, Okay, we'll finish it off. Um, Is F2... Is F2 perfect? We'll start off... That's the really easy question, isn't it? Is F2 perfect, Jimmy? No, but it's it's very good. Pretty much. And uh, if uh, Piastri wins this season, I mean, 
who can deny it's perfect you know uh that's what's that's all we've got to see you've reminded me of my point <laughs> this year's this year's f1 f2 um piastri versus show um money versus oh i guess piastri versus joe versus giovanazzi but um money talks is Pia- okay we've not got time is piastri good enough we'll start there easily if we're criticizing uh devries well me i'm criticizing devries <laughs> uh for not performing quickly enough there is absolutely no way that guan yu can get into f1 he's been in f2 for three it's three years now almost feels longer than that but it's because he did so well in his first year right he came fifth and then fourth and now he's kind of hovering around there again but Um, he he started well and then he just stayed there no but uh, you compare that to piastri winning f3 in his first season and he's i mean he's about 50 points ahead he's looking likely to win f2 in his first season he absolutely has to get that seat on merit and i think that i think that that's He's a driver that will won't be passed up. You don't win F3 and F2 in your first season. He'll either go to Alfa Romeo or he'll go to Alpine once Alonso decides to retire for the second time. Any arguments from uh, the rest of the jury? I don't mind Joe taking that seat purely because it will be a one-year um, seat, uh, uh, seat, really, uh, because Salbert do want... Um, uh, Alfa Romeo do want Teo Porche in that seat next year I mean in 2023 so I think it will be a limited time but having Joe in there would be nice um, from like uh, a marketing point of view for Liberty Media and F1 in China and everything of course China's not in the calendar next year so it wouldn't probably wouldn't matter anymore so I I don't think it's it's likely to happen especially with the the rumours that are going on on how Joe wants a multi-year contract, and it's not really, it's not really happening, really. I mean, I personally, what I think will happen is they'll keep Giovinazzi for one year. I think now I've thought about it a bit more. Alpine seems like the biggest option for Piastri. I can't see Alonso staying around. He'll he'll give Alpine one season to see how it goes. He might stay for longer. The but... only thing I would say is um, with uh, uh, for Piastri is. Whether or not Alpine will be good um, come when the regulations change. So him getting that seat next year will be able to show his talents. And if he performs, even if Alpine is good, some other team will probably be willing to pick him up. So yeah. that is something that he will be looking for. But they need to justify that driver academy because that <laughs> thing is... The Renault driver academy is genuinely the worst thing in the world. It's done absolutely nothing that it was intended, but I guess got one more person to think and give us their opinions. I just really, really want Piastri to get in that Alfa Romeo seat. In all that reality, I don't think so that the, it's absolutely guaranteed. It's probably looking like the more to be Joe because of that money, but I just really, really want Piastri to get in that seat. He deserves it a whole lot more than Joe. Okay. And we'll, we'll fit. we're nearly done. We're nearly done, I promise. Um, I'm going to have a last word from all these guests. And I'm going to throw something really, really oddball into the mix. Who wins F2? Not this year. Next year. Will Kingswood. Who wins? Oh, right. All right. Shall I give you a minute? To... I need to look at the... I need to look at the who's on the grid. All right. 
I I'm gonna I'm gonna put my word in for Teo Porsche. He's a um, at ART at the moment. He can go to a good team. He's uh, the only I think the only Cyber Driver Academy driver. I'm, I'm not sure if I said driver enough there, but um, uh, he's the only one in in F2, um, and I think he'll be able to come on strong next year and win it. What do you reckon? I think uh, a good shot will be uh, Dennis Helger, the F3 current F3 champion. I think he'll have a a good shot at it next year. He ha- he was pretty impressive. Um, I don't know what team he'll be going to. Maybe it's Prama if Piastri uh, wins the championship. Uh, if it isn't, it could be Carlin as well because. Uh, you do have a Tictum, he's not going to be uh, in that seat next year. So he should have a good shot, and uh, I hope he does have a good shot because we have seen F3 drivers come in through the grid and just absolutely uh, destroy everyone, really. Um, hopefully he gets, uh, I think he'll be a good shot. Chimay, very quickly, who do you reckon? Uh, probably Teo Porsche or maybe even Liam Lawson. Okay, and Will? Yeah, I think between Porsche, Lawson and Hauger. Hauger's dominated this F3 season. I think he could be another PS3. You could put, put your money on one. Uh, I'll go because he's from New Zealand and I'm half Kiwi. I'll go Liam Lawson. Okay, thank you. That'll do us for this week's edition of the Warwick F1 show. We'll be back next week when Will Kingswood will be taking us through the results at Cota and a preview to the... What's after that? Is it Mexico? Mexico, yeah. Yeah, the preview of the Mexican Grand Prix. 